Hello everyone, welcome to the season 1 finale of the Bun Me Chronicles podcast. This is your host, Randy Kim. What a memorable short season it has been putting together this podcast. And what better way to end it going into 2020 with this week's episode featuring my good friend, partner, and mentor, Dr. Ida Chen. Ida is a professor turned storyteller, solo performer, and storytelling show producer from Chicago. I met Ada back in June 2016 at a storytelling event that we did together. In the past four years, Ada has been on a remarkable journey telling stories across the U.S., and more recently through her solo storytelling show, Not Quite. She also produces four storytelling shows, including one that I co-produced with her. In this episode, she talks about the importance of telling our stories and why these stories matter to our history. She spends time reflecting back on her experience as a storyteller and bringing on new storytellers at her shows. She also gives advice to those who are looking to tell their stories and are looking to create their own storytelling space. I sincerely hope you enjoyed this last episode for this season and that you get to follow Ada on Facebook at Renegade Ada Cheng. Thank you and wishing you all the best for 2020. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Bunny Chronicles podcast. I am joined right here with my very good friend, mentor, collaborator, partner, Dr. Ada Cheng. So, Ada, how are you today? Uh, very good. Very yeah. good. Are you able to hear me all right? Yes, I can hear okay. you perfectly well. So, yeah, thank you for uh, joining me on the podcast. I am excited to wrap up the Buy Me Chronicles uh, first season podcast and end it with uh, talking, ended by talking with you tonight. So I'm really excited. And congratulations on the podcast. I know it was a struggle to get it started. And I'm very proud that you got it started and, and you have done so many interviews. So that's wonderful. Yeah, thank you so much. And I was wondering if you can uh, briefly introduce yourself. Uh, my name is Ada Jen, and I'm a professor turned storyteller, solo performer, and storytelling show producer. Wonderful. So I want to go back into memory lane, say about June 12th, 2016, which is a little about three and a half years ago. On June 12th, 2016, do you remember what happened? I suppose you're talking about that that was the, the, the first time we met. Well, it actually came a week later. Oh, yeah. I see. I see. Uh, then you're going to, you're talking about Pulse. Yes, that is okay. correct. Yeah. And I remembered about, about that particular uh, day. I remembered hearing what had happened with the shooting, which left 50 uh queer trans people of color uh, dead in a very violent uh, mass shooting. And I remembered I was going to do my storytelling show, uh, going not, I was going to uh, perform at a storytelling show called You're Being Ridiculous, uh, right? And, and I remembered that I was 
so upset and traumatized by the shooting that the story that I was doing on my own coming out experience, I just couldn't feel like it was the right time to do that story. So I was thinking of backing out of the show. And so a few days later, when um, I was to perform that show, I decided, well, you know what, let me just do this. I feel like I need the community. And it was my first time ever storytelling. So I remember coming in to Women and Children First Bookstore, which was the host of that event, and being so nervous. And when I walked in, I met you, and you were one of the storytellers. And, you know, being in that atmosphere, especially a week after the tragedy, was quite uplifting. It was much needed because for the past few days, I remember being so angry and so upset about what had happened and fighting with people online, uh, including with some of my friends who were focusing on, that's not guns, it's uh, people. And it, it, it politicized the whole tragedy. So, um, so being in that environment was very helpful. And then I remembered when I met you, you were very quiet, you were very reserved. And when Jeremy, who was hosting that show, introduced you, he said that you had just left DePaul University after 15 years, and you also became a U.S. citizen. And as you got up and told a very powerful story about the experience of dealing with a hate crime, I remembered feeling speechless, and I was very moved by that uh, piece that you shared. So looking back uh, three and a half years ago, what was going through your mind as you had just left academia and then started to pursue storytelling and then being a U.S. citizen? Um, it's interesting. So I taught my last class uh, in March 2016. And June 30th actually was officially was the official last day of the academic year. Um, so by then I was already out of the university uh, that that was uh, correct. Um, uh, and a year before that I became um, US citizen. And it's interesting because I I think that was also the first time that I told it, Jeremy, uh, you were being ridiculous. So that was the first time. And I can't remember if I told a specific story in other shows before, but I do recall he was looking for specific stories. I, um, uh, he posted something on Facebook uh, and, and then I pitched it to him. Um, about this is about hate crime, this is about hate symbol, um, uh, Nazi salute, and and so, um, and it was very odd that I, I, I don't know if he asked for specific stories after Pulse happened or he asked specific stories before. Regardless, that was the story I chose to tell in that particular show. Um, so by then, I left DePaul. Um, I was already a 
uh, you know, I was very much into the arts, uh, the storytelling scene. Um, and I do want to say, uh, in June, my telling has started to change. Um, I, you know, I, I started telling in January 2016. That's that's when I started telling in public in open mic. Um, and and I, what happened in 2016, right? Uh, Donald Trump came out, uh, campaign for presidency, and, and and I heard about his rhetoric of hatred and demonizing immigrants, and and in the beginning of my telling, you know, I had some uh, stories that were about dating. Uh, that focus on family. Um, I didn't really quite know what I was doing. I was simply learning the art, the craft. And so I was telling as the stories came to me. However, as he started campaigning and started uh, demonizing immigrants and racial minority, that was when I realized that uh, I needed to start telling very specific, specific stories. It was very important for me to tell stories about immigration, about being an immigrant, uh, about being an alien, um, about uh, discrimination, prejudice, and, and bias, uh, about my own experiences. And so then I started to use storytelling in a very strategic way, uh, which means that, sure, there were funny stories I could tell, but I decided those are not a priority. My priorities at this point is to use storytelling to convey certain sociological analysis, to provide a counter narrative to what's going on in our public rhetoric. Uh, so at the time when when we met, I had already, uh, you know, not full blown sense of mission, but I had a sense that, that that was what I needed to do. I had to use storytelling to tell stories about myself being an immigrant, um, alien status, discrimination, regardless it is whether it is within the academia or outside of the academia. And when when you were, um, and when you were uh, going into storytelling, was storytelling an area that you were focusing on during your time at DePaul prior to 2016? Were you doing it in other shows? Were you uh, participating in other programs that involved storytelling? No, even though uh, I was telling personal stories um, when I was teaching. But that was not the main focus. So I would talk about theories, constructs, uh, data, and then I will complement it. Uh, the theories, constructs, uh, data with my own personal stories. However, uh, during my time there, uh, I was heavily penalized for bringing in personal stories to the classroom. I was repeatedly told that it was very subjective to tell personal stories in the classroom. 
uh, that it was unprofessional, that it was inappropriate, even though it was legitimate uh, feminist pedagogy to use subjective personal stories as as the teaching material because that's how we start. That's where we how we start. Uh, that's the basis for sociological analysis. And I was heavily penalized. Um, and, but at a, t at a time, I didn't really think about uh, personal uh, narrative or storytelling as, as a vocation. It was not until later on um, that the last few years when I was at DePaul, um, I recognized something uh, that was in a time where our society was experienced tremendous uh, uh, social, uh, you know, impact and changes. Think about Black Lives Matter, right? Um, and, and and think about the agitation for uh, for social changes. Um, and I remember. You know, I was a I was award-winning teacher, and every quarter, students would tell me, "Well, Ada, you change the way we think. Uh, you you completely shape, uh, change how we think about the world, think about society." But here's also the thing: I know that that's not enough, right? Once students leave the classroom that they will go back to their routine, their regular life. Nothing would change. Um, what I recognize is this. People don't change their behavior because they change the way they think. People change their behavior because they feel compelled to, not because they think uh, it is the right thing to do. Mm. But people might do something because they feel compelled to emotionally. They feel that it is the right thing to do, right? So giving them the 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 right uh, knowledge, the right information. What I recognized was the the um, weakness in education that we try to connect with students through intellect. That's not enough. Because people, when, when I know my students, when they leave the classroom, uh, they're not going to say, oh, because I think racism is wrong, because I think uh, uh, hatred is wrong, so I'm going to do something. That's not, it doesn't come from here. Mm. But if they feel compelled, if they feel strongly enough, they might do something. And, and during the last few years when I was teaching there, I really, I was no longer happy with simply students telling me, oh, you changed the way we think. What I really wanted was that for students, when they leave the classroom, they will say, I'm going to do something. There is something I can do. I don't know what that is, but I'm going to find out but I need to do something to make the world a better place. And I recognize that uh, the academic discourse, uh, the intellect, right? The connection through intellect just, just, just weren't enough an, uh, anymore. Uh, facts, facts were not enough 
facts were or mm. are not enough to convince people, right? Yeah. Human beings are essentially irrational human beings. It's not about facts, but it's all about emotion. <clears throat> and so I recognize that academic discourse has its own uh, limitation. And I was really trying to find um, other medium and to help me connect with students better. And but also I want to find a medium that will take me beyond the academia. I was no longer happy with the academic platform, right? Sure, I changed students' minds, but that was very limited. What I really want to do is a bigger platform, uh, influence people outside of the ivory tower. And so one morning I woke up, and this is a real story. I, one morning I woke up, I thought to myself, uh, August morning, I thought to myself, I think I'll do better as a stand-up comedian. Oh. Why? Because when I was teaching undergraduate students, I used uh, stand-up comedy mm -hmm. video clips as a way to pr provoke uh, student conversation, class conversation. Some of those clips, some of the stand-up comedians, I will no longer use, right? But at the time, stand-up comedians were actually doing poignant social critique about racism, about gender relationship. And so one morning, uh, you know, the night before, I was looking through YouTube for, uh, for clips about, um, and I don't want to show students uh, in fall, and the next morning I thought, I think I'll do better as a stand-up comedian. And that's how I even got started, uh, go on Second City website. And then I started my improv class at Second City. And then I stumbled into storytelling. That's how it all started. Wow. And that and, was in 2015. Wow. And also, what clips uh, were you showing? What, uh, what stand-up comedians did you feel were very integral to the social uh, political movements? Uh, trust me, you will not want me to name names. <laughs> That's some, All right. some of the, the names, some, um, Margaret Cho, I like Chris Rock, uh, can be controversial, but there were a few, there, there were a few people that, um, you know, the Me Too movement came later, right? Oh, yes. And, and so some of the clips, um, at the time that they were actually doing some really interesting critique um in explanation of gender relationship for example observation of our society and yeah so i will not name names but <laughs> i uh you know some that that i do uh it really doesn't you know at the time i i was using a lot of stand-up comedy just as a way to uh interest uh entertain students but also think of different ways to promote, uh, provoke class discussion. Yeah, and you were talking, and I know you were about to head into the storytelling, but when you were going into improv, stand-up comedian, you're talking in front of a very different audience outside of students. You're, you know, you are uh, performing in front of uh, different students, uh, different general audience members, different age groups. Um, what was that experience like trying to begin that uh, transition from academia into stand-up comedy and into storytelling. What was that experience like being in those, uh, in, that, in that new space? 
Um, I have to say that I wasn't uh, really, you know, at the time, I just started out with improv first, right? Um, I loved it. I fell in love. I, I thought that was a really good art form. I enjoyed it. And then the second session, I continued to take improv class, and then I stumbled into storytelling. And I didn't take uh, stand-up comedy class until early 2016. So by early 2016, I was doing all three. I was doing improv, I was doing storytelling, I was doing uh, stand-up comedy. And for me at the time, I, you know, I was simply trying to experiment with different medium, different ways of expressing myself and thinking of ways, what are the ways that I can integrate sociological analysis. Um, and I, it, it took me a while to, to decide that I, uh, and, and for practical reason, um, improv is a team, essentially a team, you know, art, right? You work with a group of people, it's an ensemble. And sometimes you depend on other people's uh, professionalism in terms of what I, what, what I want to do with improv, right? Um, and a lot of people take classes just to have fun. Uh, they're not thinking of making it a, a, a career. Um, stand-up comedy, uh, I don't know if you noticed that you, a lot of their open mics are at bars, right? Right. So they give you four minutes. When you go to bars, what do you do? You drink. Yes. So it does. It didn't take long for me to realize that I would become an alcoholic faster before I become became good with uh, stand up comedy. Um, so it, it just uh, you know I decided okay the open mic at the bars may not be the best thing to do. I, I need to find ways to do stand up comedy. Uh, but fundamentally, what it comes down to is this, because when I was doing all three, uh, stand-up comedy, improv, and storytelling, it was way too much. I could feel that I was getting burned out, right? I was out partying uh, or performing almost every night. That was too much. So I made a decision in 2016 that I would just focus on one thing at a time. Let me focus on one thing develop that art first uh, and, and, you know, better my craft um, and establish myself in one art form before I move on to other things. Because when you try to be good at everything, you end up being good at nothing. So I decided, okay, storytelling comes most natural to me. Um, and, it, and, and so I will stick, start, I will focus on storytelling first. So, so the decision made it really is for very practical reason, um, pragmatic reason. I just don't have that much energy to focus on all three at one time. Let me focus on storytelling, um, which comes mo most natural. And and once I started to focus on storytelling, you know, my my career took took off pretty quickly. Yeah, and so which also would lead to uh, <clears throat> the the beginning of your. Uh, debut solo show called Not Quite Asian American by Law, Asian Woman by Desire. But, you know, prior to that, um, several months later in that 2016 year, Donald Trump, unfortunately, gets elected. And the, the result of that election was so traumatizing. 
I remembered your Facebook post when you said that I'm about to start, I'm about to cry. And I remembered for myself, I was watching with my best friend and his partner and, and I was so emotionally drained. I, I had no idea what happened. I felt like I was paralyzed for the next couple of days thinking about what's going to happen next. In January 2017, the week of Trump's inauguration, you wrote a Facebook post that resonated with me prior to the debut of your storytelling show. You said that my resistance will be through storytelling. And the word resistance was becoming a key word for the past, well, since then for the past uh, three years, right? And we, we talk about resistance, like what is what are we going to do to counter the Trump administration? And yours was on storytelling, and you've, in a way, shared that journey of what storytelling meant to you and what you wanted to convey. Now, with looking back on that comment, did you feel that um, what was going through your mind when you made that comment, and what has changed for you? What have you learned uh, since doing storytelling? I know that's a very very broad question, but, but you've performed that particular show, and I was wondering if you could share that. But I was wondering, sure. what was going, yeah, I was wondering what was going through your mind during that particular period, and what have you realized since, um, since then? Sure. Uh, my storytelling is very different in the sense that, I mean, I think it's because it's so in me. You know, I'm, I'm a trained sociologist. Doing sociological analysis, social critique is part of what I do. It comes very natural. So when I tell stories, um, you know, it's always about not just my personal stories, uh, but embedded in the story, there's also the critique of how the sociological structures, how the in unequal social structure shapes our experiences differently, right? So why do I say that storytelling is my resistance? For example, I could write an op-ed. I could write a, uh, an academic journal article for academic audience. Uh, convey the same ideas, the same critiques. But at that moment, storytelling was my medium, right? So storytelling was my medium. But but uh, when I say resistance, is that it's not just storytelling in terms of telling my sto personal stories. When I tell personal stories, that personal is always connected to the political the larger unequal structure that shapes our shared or different experiences. And what's that so social structure? It can be immigration system. It can be the way that we, uh, that we frame the, the narrative about the aliens. It can be about intersectionality, the way we think about Asian Americans, the way we think about Asian women. So that whole, uh, that whole uh, solo, at the time, and that's how I see my own development uh, as an artist, all my work is very much uh, relevant and, and all my work corresponds to the social affairs of our time, urgent social conditions of our time. So the 2017 Not Quite Asian American by Law, Asian Women by Desire was essentially a critique of the Trump administration. 
right? And using my own experience uh, as an immigrant going through naturalization process and thinking about the difference between being naturalized and being part of this country, belonging to this country, uh, being home, right? Uh, the second thing is about the uh, Asian American identity as an Asian American woman. And then the, the, the third story is about intersectionality, right? About the connection between immigration, race, sexuality, and gender. And so all, all this whole piece, the, the, uh, composed of three stories, but the whole piece is a challenge to what's going on in our society. It's a challenge to the rec rhetoric by uh, the Trump administration. Um, it's it's, a, it's a providing a, a different narrative to challenge the standard narrative that we hear by uh, government officials. So the whole piece is resistance in that sense, right? Um, so does that make, answer your question? It does, it does. And, um... And when you created that particular show, uh, you have been performing it not just in Chicago, but you've also taken that taking that show to other cities, uh, whether it's rural, whether it's in other urban areas. What was the feedback in performing that particular show? Because um, when I saw Not Quite, I was very moved by the different uh, journeys that you take us through uh, with immigration, the, the struggles of being a U.S. citizen. Uh, you uh, shared about the the race, the, the hate crime that you had experienced uh, back in Austin uh, 20 plus years ago. You talked about uh, the struggles of my, uh, microaggressions with racism and sexism as a professor at DePaul. And so uh, I was wondering, especially in that particular time period, when you were sharing it in those spaces, what was the interaction like with the audience afterwards? Because you do a talk back uh, after yes. uh, these shows. Yes. Um, so for me, uh, you know, storytelling is really not for in entertainment. Sure, it can be entertaining, but it doesn't have to be for entertainment. And for me, I'm always an educator at heart. So I really want to use stories, my stories, to educate about social issues. Um, so that's why the talk back is built in, because I really want to have critical conversations with the audience, right? And what's important is that I didn't just do that show at Burger Park, uh, the solo uh, Chicago solo festival. I also took that show to different neighborhoods. Uh, if you remember where I took it through uh, the Revival Theater uh, at High Park, and then uh, I also brought it to the museum. So I brought it to different neighborhoods. And part of the rationale is to have, right, when you go to, bring, when you bring your art to different uh, neighborhood, you you meet different audience. And part of it is that I want to draw a different audience uh, and to have a conversation with people uh, and, and really critically talk about what's important. Uh, let's think about these issues. And that's a whole reason why um, I decided to take it to Capitol Fringe, which is in DC, uh, Minnesota Fringe, which is in Minneapolis, uh, Boulder French Festival, um, and 
part of the reason is I want to take those to different cities, uh, talk to people in different cities and have conversations about uh, urgent issues of our time. Um, because I want to give audience members the opportunity to, to really give it back to me, what I get from the solo. So we can have a critical conversation. Part of it is about bringing in how do we have productive conversation, right? That needs to be learned, right? Mm -hmm. Now, nowadays, people don't know how to have conversation. And part of that process is to how can, how do we have productive conversation, even if we may think differently, right? Um, and, and fundamentally, the talk back is about that, is teaching people how to have productive and constructive conversation, um, but also really talk about issues at a, in a very substantive level. And so I took it to different cities um, and I get a sense of, uh, you know, what people are thinking and, and you see the differences, right? That by through the different questions that people ask, you get a sense of, okay, where people are. And, and, and so that's for me uh, is a wonderful opportunity. Um, I never want to simply do art in Chicago. For me, Chicago is just one city in the world, right? So right. I have always aspired to go take it somewhere. It can be different cities in the United States. It can be abroad. Um, the other reason I, I want to take it to different cities, uh, and this is really important, is I, I, you know, I didn't start do, doing art until January 2016. You know, keep in mind, I haven't been doing this for a long time. Uh, 2016, 17, 18, 19. So it's been four years. Yeah. Uh, it's, wow. it's not a long time. Um, and so as a new artist, if not young artist, as a new artist, um, and this is what I um, learned. So a uh, reader, at one of the shows, reader came to review my show. Um, and I and I read a review and I he didn't the reviewer didn't really get it. And I look I look at it and I thought this is a terribly written student paper, right? <laughs> and so, but here's this really interesting thing. I I was old enough, you know, and I, I, I'm a teacher, and so I look at that and I thought this is so terribly terribly written. Um, and so I realized by looking at that, the issue is not just me. The issue is also the reviewer's education, right? That yeah. is, are they able to understand? Do they have enough sophisticated knowledge about social issues to be even to assess my work? But here's the thing. Regardless, that night, my performance was a little bit off. I was affected, mm. not tremendously, but I was affected. And that was the moment I realized, no, 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 I'm not going to allow other people to affect how I perceive myself anymore. Because this is what I know, and this is what I knew at the time I had known. You know, I'm, I'm learning, but I also know I'm good. But I also know I can be better, but I also know my own worth. I know I'm good, 
right? And, and so I want to take myself to places where people don't know me and they don't feel the obligation to love me, right? And, and I want you to hear the honest opinions. If it is good, I'm not going to become arrogant or get overwhelmed by the positive reviews. If it is bad, I'm not going to feel terrible about my review. I, I, these trips outside to different cities are my ways of training myself to truly believe myself. That is, when I go out there and when people have no obligation to love me, I'm going to get to a point where the way I see myself is not going to be affected by what a review says, right? If the reviews are good, great. But if the reviews are bad, fine. But it is not going to affect the way I see my own worth and the, the value of my work. And I want you to take my work outside because I no longer want to stay in Chicago where everybody applauds everybody simply because we know each other. I don't want that. I don't need that validation or approval. That's just not the reason I do art. I want to challenge myself. Um, and, and so, you know, taking, you know, as a new artist, I simply just took my art um, to different cities and gambled and, and, and it turned out well, uh, you know, got a review from Washington Post. But here, this is also what I say to people. Things could have turned out terribly too, right? Yeah. It's always 50-50. Um, but the thing is, it really doesn't matter. But, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that things turned out well, that uh, it was well received everywhere I went. Um, and I had critical conversation uh, everywhere. And, and the truth is, this piece is still what I'm doing right now. Uh, this piece is still relevant. You know, I just did this with uh, the Women and Girls Conference as a keynote performance, right? Yeah. At the University of Georgia. And, 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 you know, this is the piece that I continue to do, even though it was done two years ago. And because it is still relevant, because it still speaks to issues of our time. And so for me, uh, what changed? I'm a better performer, right? But, um, and, and so, so for me, that's the best testament of my work. That is, it's not just a solo show I did back in January 2017. It's a show that I continue to do and continue to use to engage in audience conversation, to promote, to provoke critical dialogues. And so, so that's what I'm proud of. Yeah, I remember watching that show and going back to that January 2017 when you headed at Burger Park. I was so impressed uh, with that show that um, at that time I had became a board member for the National Cambodian Heritage Museum. And when we had sat down, I wanted you to bring your show to the museum space. And, and I remember you had asked me, well, I'm not Cambodian, um, I'm not a refugee, but with this particular show, what I thought about was that sentence, my resistance will be storytelling. And what that echoed back was back in the 1970s during the time of the Khmer Rouge, um, 
takeover of Cambodia, a lot of the artists were killed and ex and they were executed, they were imprisoned. Whether you were a teacher, whether you were an artist, painter, uh, a martial artist, they represent threats. They represent mm -hmm. this uh, counter-revolution um, that the government, the new government that was taking over was very fearful of. Mm -hmm. And so during the time of Trump's inauguration, not too long after that, the National Endowment of Arts was, lose, was going to lose its funding. Mm -hmm. That showed a lot of us that our arts are in danger. And mm -hmm. so hearing that particular sentence that you wrote was very telling to me. And, but also your show mattered in our space because uh, in the Cambodian community, we're dealing with deportation issues. We are dealing with um, second generation Asian American issues with assimilation, resettlement, the idea of belonging in a place that is our home but doesn't feel home. The idea of being uh, a, a foreigner to many um, to many uh, white Americans, even though for a guy like myself, I was born in the U.S., but I'm still getting asked the question of where are you still from? Where are you from? Mm -hmm. And so the invalidation of what is home and the fact that my parents' homeland, I have no physical, spiritual connection mm -hmm. to. So I felt that your show was very important to bring to that museum space. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if you wanted to kind of share about your experiences, you know, being with the Cambodian Museum, because honestly, that was, that has been one of my, that has been such a blessing to have you bring your show, not mm -hmm. only that particular piece, but uh, the subsequent shows that you would uh, soon bring in. So I was wondering mm -hmm. if you wanted to be able to share that experience and, and also how that actually would lead to you uh, bringing and creating new shows to other nonprofit immigrant-centered uh, spaces. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, it was wonderful uh, experience to bring that show to the museum. Um, and, you know, at the time I was bringing it to different neighborhoods. And, and so, you know, I'm grateful to have the opportunity to, to really, uh, bringing a show of performance to the space where uh, people will feel uh, related to, right? Um, but, you know, it's interesting because at the time, I didn't really know how it was going to lead to. Uh, you know, it's, uh, at the time I was doing, um, I had a solo show, but I didn't, I wasn't producing any other shows yet, right? And so I wasn't necessarily clear on how um, I was able to really connect the storytelling with the museum, except simply bring my own solo shows to the museum, right? And, and so, but um, it was not until, uh, and so let me uh, talk about uh, some of the shows that I am producing and, yes. and that I, so I, in, so I took over, Paul went out, uh, a monthly storytelling series at Volumes Book Cafe um, in 
October 2017. And the theme for that first time, first month for that month was Am I Man Enough? And which you were also a teller. Yes. And so uh, it was at that show that I decided to make Am I Man Enough a separate show. And so I produced Pull One Out, which is a show that stays at Volumes Book Cafe. And then Am I Man Enough? This is a show where people tell personal stories to critically examine the culture of toxic masculinity. And then I would take that show to different neighborhoods. Uh, for example, Volume Book Cafe, Women and Children, First Bookstore, uh, Pride Art Center, and now increasingly I work with uh, uh, Hosted, uh, Center on Hosted. Now, this director that I would like to create um, an Asian uh, a storytelling show focused on uh, Asian, Asian American, uh, Asian Americans. And then I uh, invited Archie Jamjun to to be part of the show. Um, so that's how we created Talk Stories. Um, and I want to give him the acknowledgement, Talk Stories, these two words that he did contributed to uh, creating these two words. Um, talk Stories, uh, and I created an Asian American, Asian diaspora storytelling show. Um, and so the show was created and I wanted to have, um, you know, storytelling, um, but also improv, and he wanted to integrate music. And so that kind of a come to our first show, which is we have dance music, and then we have five tellers. Uh, and I believe you are also one of the tellers of so the first, I don't know yes. if you were the first yes, one, I was. right? Yes. And, then, uh, and then we have improv. And so this is how it all started uh, in January 2018. Um, and then in January 2018, after uh, we had another show at the collaboration, and, and our first time, that first show, and to be honest, Archie and I, we didn't know how many people were going to show up. Um, that it just, you know, it, up until the day before, the, the tickets was really low. Mm. And then, voila, on the day of the show, we had to add chairs. Wow. And it was one of the best shows in that festival. Um, so we, um, and so I decided to uh, stay at the theater for another time. Um, and then afterwards I decided I really would prefer to simply bring shows to the community centers and museums as opposed to stay in the theater space because I, I think I would rather to come to a space where I have artistic control, uh, that I can do things on my own terms, uh, uh, in my own, you know, the way I want to, mm -hmm. um, but also uh, Asian American focused and centered. Um, and, and so that for me, I decided, um, after that I decided to take it to the museum, um, and other community centers. And that's how we, um, I think the third show, we came to the museum. Yes. And then afterwards, we went to the Japanese American Service Committee. And then afterwards, we went to the Chinese uh, American Museum of Chicago. And, and so that's how it all started. And then at some point uh, in 20, uh, late 2018, I decided to start um, another series called Speaking Truth series, 
Uh, so think about the talk stories is Asian American focused, right? Yes. But speaking to series is I, I really want to, um, you know, have a series that with themes that can can respond to urgent issues of time, right? And so the world is changing so much. Um, and so what are the urgent issues that things that I can come up with? And, and I need something with more flexibility. I need something that is more cross-sessional, right? I need to have a space where I can bring uh, tellers from different racial ethnic groups, religious groups, um, gender, uh, LGBTQ community. Really, it's about people from different communities, regardless of their gender, race, class, sexuality, that they can say something about the thing. And it's about intersectionality. Um, and, and so that decided to create Speaking Truth series where uh, we already have several shows uh, and mostly at a museum. Uh, so we're uh, alternating between the museum and the Japanese American service community. And, and I want to emphasize something really important, uh, talk stories and, and speaking to series. And, and, and that was part of the reason uh, where I found myself at odds with Archie. Um, very early on that I wanted um, non-performers to be on the show uh, with talk stories. It was always my intention. Um, I just didn't know the ratio, but I always had the intention, um, at least half, that I want to have performers uh, to be on the show. And why? Um, because I, when I was doing comedy, uh, I would go to um, comedy shows by, uh, you know, organized and produced by Asian American uh, improvisers and, and comedians. And I really didn't see a lot of, uh, you know, audience there in terms of Asian American, Asian, uh, Asian, Asian American audience there. Yeah. And so that was part of the puzzle that I was trying to solve. That is, how do I get people? Because it, it, you know, I don't just want to perform or produce for the white audience. I want to produce for, um, you know, the Asian communities as well. I, I want the Asian American communities to come to the show. So that was a, a major puzzle that I was trying to solve. That is, how do I get people to come to the space, come to the theater? How do I make them feel that they have a stake at what we're doing, right? Otherwise, what's the point? And so for me, why it's very important to have non-performers, that is, it cannot simply have, we cannot have the limited performers over and over again. Right. Everyone has a story to tell. Um, so it is very important. So for it, it serves several re, uh, functions. Why do I want to have non-performers and many community members? Number one, our ability to perform shouldn't become a barrier for us to tell stories. Right. Everyone has a stories to tell. And sometimes there are far more important stories than mine. Right. And so it's important for me to highlight those stories. And I don't want craft or skill become an issue for people not to be able to participate. Right. 
it shouldn't become a barrier. So for me, it is really important uh, to have community members, right? That's one. Number two, that is, and this is what I learned, people tend to feel intimidated, you know, to come to the stage and share stories by themselves. However, it is much easier if they see somebody of their own do it. They feel more comfortable doing that. And so if they see their own friends, if they see non-performers, community members doing things, for example, telling their stories on stage, they're more inclined to come to the space to watch them. They're more inclined to participate, right? And so for me, having community members be part of it is, for me, is essential. It's, it's very important. I don't create these shows just for friends. Um, yeah. You know, I don't cre create these shows just so I can uh, trade spots for me to perform in other shows. That's not a point. I don't just want you to give to, if other performers already have their platforms, great, use their platforms to uplift other stories, right? That's my expectations of them. But what I want to uplift are the stories that we haven't heard. So for me, it's always very important that we have community members there. And I, uh, and this is something also very important that we did. Why was the show successful? We also did very targeted marketing. We uh, targeted uh, community organizations. Hey, there, here's a show. Uh, you know, I do not believe this idea of I have the show you just have to come to me. No, I'm willing to humble myself and say, please come to see, or I'll make it easy. I'll bring the show to you because I want to I understand. I want to make it easy, right? And so we make very targeted um, uh, uh, promotion. We send emails. Um, and that's also in terms of the way I understand marketing right that i um that i had archie send emails to community organizations and part of the reason is i already had idea where i want to work with community organizations uh at some point i would like to bring shows to their space as possible i would like their community members to tell stories right yeah. so so these are so why is a show why am i able to draw crowd right from community members these are the factors and it's very concerted effort to to make that happen um and and i always believe in and you know cultivate your audience educate your audience you have to promote a show you have to educate the audience you have to cultivate your audience uh, and so that's that's why I have been able to do what I do. Yeah, I remember coming aboard, um, I believe August 2018, when you brought it to the Cambodian Museum, just helping out behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And I remember being uh, in the audience, just sitting and observing the crowd, and it was 90% API folks, mm -hmm. and it was a full house. But what was not just the presence of the Asian Pacific Islander folks that were there, but it was the community bonding. The mm -hmm. fact that I'm watching people root for these storytellers, right. sharing the stories, bonding. And, 
and after the last couple of shows um, that we've done together, what has been my takeaway is after the show, people, you're seeing folks that are meeting longtime friends they haven't seen in a long, mm-hmm. in, a, in quite a while. You're seeing folks beginning to make new friendships, potential collaborations, partnerships. And when we look back on storytelling, we think about what it compels us to do, which you beautifully shared here, because after these shows, you see people feeling compelled to tell their story for the first mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. You feel that um, you feel you see that people feel compelled to become a donor or a volunteer for this organization or they feel compelled to bring new friends or Mm -hmm. bring their friends to future storytelling shows or to uh, work with either storytellers or audience members to think of ideas say let's make let's create our own space let's Mm -hmm. uh, do our own project and i've seen this happen time and time again not just with talk stories but also with your other shows too Mm -hmm. um actually at the um at the Speaking Truth queer storytelling show that you had at the Cambodian Museum, you had one of our storytellers who um, told for the first time, but mm-hmm. he actually it was a result of him coming to the previous show mm-hmm. as an audience member and him finding community through I2I, which is the in, uh, Invisible to Invincible Asian LGBTQQIA um, group. And mm-hmm. so see the impact that it does for folks and it's quite a blessing to watch this mm-hmm. unfold and mm-hmm. see where it takes was this something that you had always intended to do all along and and did it has it exceeded your own expectations yes um so um and then yes i want to acknowledge you you know came on board as uh, social media promoting social media and helping out and then became a, a co-producer for the last show in 2018, correct? And then yes. afterwards it became a co-producer. Um, and I eventually asked Archie to leave the project. Um, and I think for you know practical reason because of the um, artistic differences. Um, but I want you to say this, uh, that is, why is this so important? When I first started out uh, telling stories, I was one of the few right? Asian faces, right? We were one of the few Asian faces. Yes. They weren't, they weren't, right? And here's the thing. I will, I could pretty much take myself to everywhere without bringing anybody with me. Right. I could be one of the few faces over and over again. Yeah. And I could get many, many opportunities. Every time someone needs an Asian, anytime someone needs an Asian LGBTQ member, anytime somebody needs a female immigrant, anytime somebody needs a a female academic immigrant LGBTQ member, there are benefits that come with being a token, right? right? Right. And so I recognize that. And, and, and here's the thing that is I, I recognize that very early on. I also recognize that it shouldn't be my own. I can't be the only face because there is a problem 
in our racialized society, if I was the only face out there telling particular stories, it would end up reinforce a particular narrative that a dominant society wants to reinforce, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And so I recognize there no single narrative can represent one single group, right? There has to be there are many narratives, there are many stories, and their stories are all different. So for me, number one, I can't be the only face out there, even though there are so many benefits for me just being the only one. Right. And I had to very consciously minimize my own presence. Right? I had to very consciously minimize my presence so I wasn't the only face out there. And there was a conscious decision and effort on my part to do so because I recognized the danger of being the only face out there. Now, so for me, why is this important? There shouldn't be one single narrative, and we see that in the scene a lot. There shouldn't be one single narrative representing mm-hmm. one group. Number two, these are not just shows for me. These are my ways of preserving histories, right? Um, that is all history in action in the mm-hmm. sense that I want people, instead of the, the you know, recorded history on paper, I want real people just tell in real time. And there are far more important stories to tell than mine. That's just the reality. Yes. Um, and I need to make, I need to create platforms for those space, for those stories. I need to make space for those stories. As much as I want to shine as an artist, right? And we, we are all selfish in that. There's nothing wrong with that. But I also recognize there's a bigger picture than just me being an artist. I need to create platforms for people to, to share stories. Uh, and I need to, part of it is that why is it? I want people to know what's going on in the community, community centers, know our histories. I want to pass on the art to community members. That's part of why I want to integrate community members and tell stories, pass on the art so they know this is something that they can do. And the thing is to highlight right? Uh, stories that are really important, uh, that needs to be highlighted. Um, and, and so for me, these are simply stages in development. At this point, is cultivating new and emerging tellers, right? Um, I, one time I say this, uh, I cannot talk about diversity without doing my part on equity and inclusion, right? And that's the problem that I have, is that people simply want to add colors to their show, but they don't work on inclusion or equity. So you see the same people of color over and over again. Right. I, and, and you know what I'm proud of is I produce four shows. Am I men enough? Talk stories, speaking truth series. Mm-hmm. I have never had repeated tellers. Right? Since 2017, I haven't repeated one single teller for all those three shows. 
And, and, every, and every show is a great show. And let me add one thing. Pour One Out, for example, which is done monthly, you have about eight tellers, I believe. Eight mm -hmm. times 12, you're looking at about almost 100. Right. Just on that alone. And no repeats. That's just for one show. And Pour One Out, I do have repeat. Oh, okay. But I do have repeats with Pour One Out, but it is Am I Men Enough? Talk stories and speaking to a series. That these three, these three shows, I don't have repeat. Yeah. Um, and so that's still a lot. It right? is a lot. And what I've also noticed is that those are folks that have never told stories anywhere else, yeah. right? Yeah. And and also, even though I don't, I've done storytelling in the past, and I don't do it as um, anywhere near the level that you do, uh, but. You bring up the point of you know being tokenized and also you know my own comfort level when i performed at your shows versus in other people's shows is that oftentimes i'm in the audience i'm usually telling stories that are very personal that are based on trauma and there's also this um i hate even saying this but there's like the stereotype attached for people of color that we do tell traumatic layered stories and you know hearing other people's stories that are based on dating based on um entertainment it was hard for me to be in those shows i always felt like i was a square peg in a round hole yes. um, oftentimes right and i know that that's something that you've in, in a way touched on and also afterwards you feel kind of I mean, for me, I've always felt kind of awkward that I don't get the kind of community that I was hoping for uh, mm -hmm. versus when I was in your spaces and feeling like, oh, my gosh, I'm I can really connect with these tellers here because right. they all connect to some there's some parallel. There's some per, um, intersection that I've crossed hearing their stories. Right. So you know, to go into these other spaces that are very white-centered and they're very focused on the entertainment aspect of it, it it does feel very isolating to me. Um, and that was all my experience. I, I do recall, you know, you, you have heard my stories oftentimes are about trauma, domestic violence, sexual assault. Um, you know, it's a, a lot of it's that. Not that I don't have funny stories to tell, but just for me at this point in time, Right. When you think about our world, to, uh, you know, social changes, um, you know, what did I tell 20, 2016, 2017 about race, immigration, intersectionality, 2017, what are, what stories do I tell? Domestic violence, sexual assault, Me Too movement. Right. Now, 2018, I tell I tell stories about toxic masculinity. So all my stories are relevant to social you know, conditions of our time. And those because I, I tell these stories because they're important to tell. Now, I do, there were, uh, I think it was uh, almost a year ago, I remember there were in several shows where I told, I just realized, gosh, you know, my material is too deep, right? And, and people are not here for that. And, and not that they, they don't appreciate, but because the epistemological framework that this is entertainment, but we're going to add a few, add on a few thoughtful pieces. Mm -hmm. So fundamentally, it makes me feel very unsatisfied. So that's that was when I realized that I wanted to create something that focused on vulnerability, that is trauma-informed. 
but entertainment is secondary. Yeah. Right. So, so this is what I usually tell people. I don't want you to in my shows, in my all of my shows. This is what I say. If you simply want to entertain people, you can go to other shows. You don't need to come to tell in my shows. But my shows are places where if you want to embrace your vulnerability, confront your vulnerability. This is a place where you to tell stories that are difficult, that are vulnerable, that are controversial, that are sensitive. Um, uh, there might be a few stories that are entertaining, but the the epistemological foundation of my shows are are for vulnerability, are for people who want to deal with difficult subjects. If they want to tell stories about violence and trauma, right? And that's a very different ways of thinking about uh, the uh, creating, conceptualizing the platform. And so, so for example, just like some people may not feel comfortable in my shows because they simply want to tell stories to entertain, and which for me is totally fine. Then, you know, for me, it's always find the shows that suit you, right? And so just like I only book people that suit my shows, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so so for me is I want to book people. Um, I don't just book, uh, you know, known tellers. Um, I want to I want to book tellers who are willing to fail, who are willing to try difficult materials, who are still growing, not just winning. I don't care anybody who wins. But I need I need to book. These are my shows. Uh, really, are my ways to demonstrate best practices. I want to book storytellers who are growing as an artist, who aren't afraid to fail, who are willing to experiment, who are willing to confront difficult subjects. Right? Uh, best practices. Um, I promote not just show. I promote tellers. That's very different ways of promoting. If you simply promote show, it's all about you. But when you promote tellers, that's a very different way of promoting the show. And so every bit of how I produce these shows, how I work with tellers, and keep in mind, I often work with uh, uh, half, oftentimes half of my shows are people who have never done storytelling before. Um, but I enjoy working with them. Sometimes I find them tell the best stories. Um, they may not be able to just tell naturally, but at least the first step is to get a story out. Yeah. And so for me, these are ways for me to, you know, develop young and I'm committed to develop young and emerging tellers. I, I have had tellers tell me, I have senior seasoned tellers who no longer want to participate in the scene because they feel it's the same people over and over again. So they completely dropped out. I also have new tellers who really don't know how to get in, right? And so for me is I actively, I don't just, I actively reach out to people. Um, if people who have never done story, if they're in other shows, then I have less concern. But if people haven't told in any shows, then I would love to have them tell. Um, so 
you know, I, I for me, producing these shows, promoting these shows are my way of demonstrating what are the better practices, right? Yeah, and so what advice would you have, because I know with Talk Stories, it's one of the few Asian uh, Pacific Islander-centered shows in Chicago here, but what advice would you have for someone that's thinking of creating a space for storytelling? Um, don't give up too easily. I mean, I think sometimes people give up their show. It really takes a lot of time. I, it does. So, I, sure, it looks easy on the surface, but it is not, right? I, I work 24-7, right? It's mm -hmm. a lot of work. I don't have a social life. Right? I believe that. Oh, I believe yeah. that because because I every minute, every minute is goes to the show. I have a full time job, mm -hmm. right? I teach a class. I have a full time job, and I still try to do my own project. And I work with students, and I have other things going on. The toxic masculinity workshops, right? And I produce four shows. So, so the thing I say to people, and it it. As sure, on the surface, everything seems to be okay. But I also put a lot of effort. I, some of the producers don't even pr promote their shows. I promote every show. Why? Because I feel the sense of responsibility that I feel I need to have audience in the seat for these tellers. I need to put their faces out so people know that they are active they're visible, they're doing something. There's a reason why I pr promote people the way I do. Uh, and it takes a lot of time, right? Imagine the time that I that I use to promote other people. I could have simply just try to get gigs for myself. But these are important to do because these are uh, that I need to promote people. That's just what I need to do. And the thing is, I work damn hard for all these shows it is not easy to you know and it's i don't always succeed sometimes i don't have a whole lot of audience sometimes i do right and it's still hard to predict um it is always a chance right uh it's like roll a dash dice you will never know but i i do my best you know to promote every show but sometimes the turnouts are great sometimes it's not um, but I need to do my best. But here's the thing is, um, what I, you know, it takes a while. Uh, you know, it, it took quite a few years for me to build to this point where uh, people kind of know the presence. People know these shows. People know the quality of, uh, of the shows. People know what I'm doing. And, and it, it, it has taken me, you know, uh, a few years, four years, right? The last two years really have been heavily, more heavily producing. Um, and, and sometimes what I see people is that people give up too soon. Um, you know, how do you know that if you don't, um, how do you know it's not, it's not going to work uh, another year? And, and so it's not easy, but I want people to try. Um, but I also am proud to say that I never uh, opt the, for the simple route, right? right? 
Right. Uh, these topics are always thoughtful, reflective, um, socially relevant. Uh, these are not for entertainment. Um, I'm not, I don't need 100, 1,000 people to come to the show. It's okay with a limited audience. Um, I could make it easy. Um, I could make it very different. Um, and I don't need to do so much work. Um, but, so I never opted the, the easy route. Um, that I build these shows the way that I feel is with integrity. Um, and I never once compromised in terms of my integrity. That these are all entertain. These are all education, not for entertainment. Um, and because I want only certain audience, right? I want. Uh, uh, I don't need everybody. Um, but people who want these shows will come to me, right? Um, so, so you know, for me, it's a lot of work. Uh, my advice is really ask yourself, what is it that you want to achieve, right? Do you simply just want to have a show so you can have a producer name uh, attached to your resume? If that's the case, that's simple. Or do you want to have impact? What kind of impact do you want? If you ask those questions, that's very different ways of thinking about things, doing things. Um, and I want to have impact and talk stories and speaking to series and my men enough and pull one out, they all have their own impact. Um, that I'm very confident to say that. And so for me, it's integrity, right? Are you simply looking for popularity? Um, or are you thinking about impact? Really ask yourself, you know, ask yourself, what is it? Why are you producing these shows? What's it for? Who is your audience? Right? Because your audience says something about you, not just your tellers. Your teller says something about you. If you have the same tellers over and over again, that says something about you. If you work with the same people of color over and over again, that says something about you. But your audience also says something about you. Um, I want different kind of audience. It is important for me that these stories are shared with communities, that we know these stories, learn these stories uh, from one another. It's important for our histories to be heard, to be learned. Um, and it's never just about show. It's about history. It's preserving history. When you think in those pictures, you are going to do things very differently. Um, so it really is to ask yourself, why are you doing this? Because you can do it this very easy way, or you can do this in a very hard way, right? So, yeah. Yeah, thank you. You... You said it so beautifully. And as we go into the 2020 year, what are your hopes for this uh, coming year? What would you like to do? Uh, what are your aims that you're uh, looking to uh, take on? My aim uh, for myself as an artist, uh, I'm going to take a lot of classes, uh, learning. Um, uh, I'm going to pick up stand-up comedy again. I'm going to learn poetry, uh, do spoken words. 
uh, I'm going to write, learn how to write plays better. So really expand my own repertoire of genres, right? Um, I'm not in a hurry. I have the a third solution, but I'm not in a hurry to do it. I really want to learn more skills uh, to do that. Um, but part of it is also I also want to move into do more speaking, public speaking, uh, not just storytelling, right? Uh, but more importantly, uh, really, this coming year is for me to develop and, and cultivate more new and emerging tellers. Uh, so uh, that's very important for me. Um, so, you know, so I will continue to work with all the community organizations and, and uh, nonprofit organizations and uh, talk stories and, and they're all in some way in good shape, you know, pull one out. I have the line up ready for the whole year. Yeah. Am I meant enough? I'll continue to work with um, uh, different locations. Talk stories uh, is in good hand now that you are co-producer. Uh, I know it will be in good hand. Um, and speaking true series, you know, the, the queer Asian American Asian diaspora storytelling show is really the one that I want to continue to work with. I too, I am Tricon. Uh, because these stories need to be heard, um, and and you know I have been very proud of the past two shows. So so these are the things that I want to continue to work on for the coming year. Yeah, and also where can we find you on social media? Where can we find updates about uh, the of uh, the upcoming shows for twenty twenty? Uh, so the best way to do go to my website www.renegadeadachen.com. Uh, um, or you can check my uh, Facebook, Renegade Ada Jen. Yeah. And, and also, uh, like, in, oh, go ahead. Uh, Renegade Ada Jen, yeah. And also, in closing, I also wanted to acknowledge, like, how helpful you've been to me the past couple of years since we met back in June of 2016. You know, like, I had just started storytelling for the first time, thinking it might be just a one off. And, you know, since then, you have really pushed me to tell my own stories and to tell it in a way that makes me feel like I am in control of telling my stories in a way that's unapologetic, that is, um, in a way, not focused on the entertainment, but rather on not being afraid of being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And so I've been very thankful for your mentorship the past couple of years. I know like being in the talk stories uh, for this past year plus, I've been very humbled, but I've also watched you from, you know, online, from talking to each other like almost every day and hearing about your own experiences and what it took to get you to those points because you are a person that runs 24-7. It your mind never stops and you're doing all these shows, you're teaching full time, uh, you are um constantly thinking of how can I get better, how can I develop new folks, how can we get these new tellers to share their stories for the first time. And I've been very proud of what you have done and also just really impressed by how much you have invested into making the storytelling scene accessible to all of our communities. Mm -hmm. And 
it's been an incredible journey just to even know you for the past couple of years. You've uh, been uh, pushing me. I know that I would drive you crazy every now and then. Because <laughs> sometimes I drive I know. you crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and but you know, it's also for good measures because it has really helped me mm-hmm. to understand what it takes for me to get there because because honestly like my best success has come from people who have invested their time in me by not giving me false praise they've told me well you know what you need to do this better and actually in fact about two weeks ago i'm still working on my personal statement for grad school by the way and i remembered i had sent to you my first draft and i knew that as a writer i'm gonna have several drafts right at 1.30 a.m., I sent it to you, and I was still not falling asleep. 30 minutes later, you messaged me on Facebook and said, is this what you're going to send to them? How bad do you really want it? And she's like, I need you to start all over. And I'm like, and it was 2 a.m. That was like 30 minutes into it. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I didn't think she would respond that quickly. But it also made me realize that, you know, you, no matter what time of the day, you do take the time to really help others who are willing to make that effort. And I know from myself, I want to make that effort count, especially mm-hmm. for a person who invests so much time right. in developing other people. So I keep that in mind. So yeah, whatever I argue with you at 2 a.m., no, I was like, no, I'm going to shut up because I am not going to get her upset at 2 a.m. in the morning. No, no, no. Um, you know, part of it is, yeah, you know, I can be a little bit, you know, I can be tough, I, which I agree. I sometimes realize, you know, I forget I'm not, a professor anymore, right? Um, I'm not, and sometimes I treat things like I'm treating thesis and dissertation, right? Uh, <laughs> so when, when students didn't turn in a good draft, uh, I would be like, what, what's going on? Um, and and I, I literally really have to control myself not to uh, go overboard. And that's something I'm still learning. Um, but you know, the thing is, uh, you know, mentorship, mentorship relationship, it, it takes two ways. Um, you know, I, I only mentor people who are willing to improve. Uh, I cannot mentor. I, I don't, I, you know, as much as I'm willing to help people, I also don't want to feel like I'm in uh, a place where people simply uh, get the update without even putting in the effort, right? Um, and, and sometimes I will have young tellers, new tellers come to me and wanting things, but haven't really done the work, right? They want to know the shortcut, but haven't put in effort. Um, and increasingly, I found myself having to set the boundaries because I don't, I don't hand out anything free, right? Uh, I, I, you know, if you don't do the work, I, I won't, and, and I only push people when I know they have potential. I, I, I could care less if I just feel there's no potential for me to push. Um, and sometimes my, you know, I can, uh, tough love comes, come from that's where, yeah. because I see something, see something, somebody with some potential. So I know they can go somewhere. Um, but um, I also uh, require people to work hard, uh, and, and and I do have to I acknowledge I have to kind of a, a pull back and not to expect people to work equally hard, right? I, I think that's 
uh, unreasonable expectation. Um, but I do need to see. I mean, I watch people. Whether people are improving, doing shows, getting, are they doing things? If they are, I have no problem getting them to places. Um, but if they are not, I don't want to simply give them gigs. Um, and so for me, that's really important. Uh, and, and, and the thing is that you also work very hard, right? Uh, there's a reason why you are the co-producer for Talk Stories. Um, is because I, I do need somebody who is, who see the big picture, who is committed, right? Who is not just uh, looking for the glory or just getting on the ride and, and not wanting to do work. Um, you don't get to work with me if you don't do work because I work damn hard. You sure um, do. And I, I, you know, every bit of it is, is sure I have a, privileges and you know and I'm doing this in in at an older age and and sure I acknowledge that but I work 24 7 just to to get everything right yeah. how you know when I did my second solo show I tell people this how did I prepare the performance how did I write a solo performance I at a time I had a full-time job with Kenwood yeah. I woke up an hour early to write a solo I woke up an hour early to rehearse before I went to work. That's how I did my solo performance, right? That, you know, and then I, I rehearsed after I came home. I rehearsed before I went to work. So it's not as if things come easy. I, you know, I, I don't, you know, I still have a lot to learn, but I do know I work really hard. That's something I'm, I'm, I can't, um, you know. No one's going to say that you can't. Uh, maybe exactly. Yeah. Anybody who so, looks at the Renegade Ada Chang page will see all these events and that you do not take many days off. And it's also because these are things really important, Very. right? Very important. And, and it has to be done. And part of it is also, it's like, I'm mean, 55. You know, I'm at an age where, gosh, I could die tomorrow, right? Mm -hmm. I'm at an age where people get sick, people die, right? It's if I don't get it done, I don't know if I have tomorrow. So there's always a sense of urgency in me that these are important, so I need to get it done, right? So there's a sense of urgency, both because my own sense of mortality but also because these are important, because these are objectively important. Mm. And, and also uh, wrapping up, I also want to say that um, doing this podcast, especially if this was my first independent project and mm -hmm. working with you uh, for the past year, you have been urging me, Randy, I need you to create your own independent project. And I'll be honest with you, it is terrifying because my fear was, am I going to get sidetracked? Am I going to get derailed? And then just give up a couple months later and work on something else and not think big picture. And here I am completing the first season, ready to do the second season uh, soon. And so I want to say that, you know, part of you pushing me has made it possible for me to start my own podcast, which is really about 
uh, uplifting the narratives of Asian Pacific Islander folks in Chicago and, you know, going beyond. And so I really want to thank you for, uh, for pushing me to see that. And, and also through talk stories, it inspired me to think of how can we bring, uh, up, how do we uplift people, especially in the Asian community where we've been so used to being silenced and often forgotten in history, in American and, history, I should say. And, and, and I think it's really important to point out, you know, what's the purpose of mentor uh, mentoring? Is so you can become, you, so you can fly on your own, so you can be an independent uh, producer or artist on your own. I mean, I, I could keep you on this project for a long time. But that's just not the purpose of mentoring. The mentoring purpose is for you to develop your own, um, you know. So, so that's for me. And and part of me is also I don't want you to get comfortable, right? What is the 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 biggest challenge barrier to art? Is complacency, right? Once you become complacent, when, once you become uh, comfortable, then you, you start pushing the you stop pushing the you know, edge, right? You, yeah. you stop pushing, pushing boundaries. And, and so for me, it's really important that you continue to grow because I don't want to work with people who don't aspire to grow. And that's for my own psyche too. If yeah. I'm the only one growing in this relationship, it's not going to work, right? So there's also a part of me that worries that you're going to get too comfortable, that you're going to be complacent. Uh, and so I want to kind of, uh, so I nudge you is, and I also, a part of it is also, you know, you, you are in a, at, at a different stage, right? You, you, you haven't established yourself completely as right. an artist. I really need you to do that. Um, yeah. and so that's the whole purpose. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. a lot of pressure working with me. So. <laughs> Yeah, but it's also brought out the best of me too. So I want to say thank you so much for being here on my show and also for sharing so much important wisdom and for what you're doing for our communities here in Chicago, but also not just in Chicago, but elsewhere. I mean, with your solo storytelling shows and creating these shows uh, for people to finally tell their history and their stories to the surface and thank you for doing all of that and i wish you so much uh, more success in 2020 i can't wait to see what uh, will emerge uh out of it so thank you again as always thank you so time. much for interviewing me and and congratulations on this project you know the thing is uh regardless whether you continue or you stop it really doesn't matter um you know sometimes these are projects that get us to the next step um, you know, this may not be it, but this is something you build uh, to go somewhere else, right? Yeah, and also, and I think what's more important is that that we are that this is now recorded. This is now part of uh, history and yeah. that it's accessible. So I think that's yeah. something I'm very proud of. Is that no matter what happens down the road, if I don't do this, is that it's accessible to people. Yeah, and absolutely. It's very important. So thank you so much for reminding us of that and for inspiring us as you do. Okay, very good. Thank Bye, you. Bye, Ada. Bye. Well, that is all for today. Thank you for listening. And be on the lookout for future episodes. 
So follow me on The Bunby Chronicles on Facebook. Or you can follow me on Instagram at bunby underscore chronicles. Thank you again and looking forward to sharing more with you.